Just a quick announcement before we um, start. There's a, a ute parked in William Street, white ute that has a broken window. Our number plate is uh, DCJ14E. Okay, DCJ14E. I, I don't believe it is anyone in here because it was parked there when I got here. But if it is, just want to let you know uh, about that. Um, could you open your Bible, please, to Psalm uh, 121? <clears throat> now, have you ever heard it said that uh, all things are possible with God, or there is nothing that God cannot do? You know, I'm sure most of us are very familiar with uh, the Sunday school song, My God is so big. And uh, this teaches the children about the greatness of God. Uh, and within it, it says, there's nothing my God cannot do. Now, the question is, is that true? Now, sorry to be a Grinch, and uh, I hope I don't ruin this song for you, because I think it's a great song for children. My eldest two kids, they love the song. But it isn't completely true that there is nothing that God cannot do, because there are some things that God cannot do. Okay, it's correct to say that God can do all things that don't contradict his person or will. Although I know that wouldn't sound as catchy in the song, would it? There's nothing my God cannot do unless it contradicts his person or will. That's true. Doesn't quite fit. But there are some things that God cannot do. And when I get the opportunity to preach in our evening service, probably for the rest of the year, I want to consider some things that God cannot do. Because this actually makes the greatness of our God shine all the more brightly. These limitations don't make God less glorious or less amazing. Usually limitations for us tend to imply in a human sense that something is inferior. But that's not the case with God. Okay, because the things that God cannot do contribute significantly to his greatness. Because they prove beyond a doubt that God is so unlike us. Now often we tend to have this unhelpful view that God is just a better or greater version than us, just a bit bigger. Okay, but that's not the case. God is completely different to us. He is incomparable to anything. And the things that he can't do makes that abundantly clear, that he is unlike us and that he is infinitely greater. So let's embark on this journey considering some things that God cannot do. And I trust this will magnify the greatness of God and increase our love for him. Okay, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that there are some things that you can't do. And as we begin to consider some of these things, we ask that you would help us to understand who you are. Please grow our love for you. Please increase our delight in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, who here likes to sleep? I'd be surprised if anybody said, well, hey, I don't like sleep. Um, because I love sleep. I usually wish I had more. And I'm often quite unimpressed when my sleep is rudely interrupted, either by my alarm or by one of my little cherubs. 
and you know there can be some unhappy mutterings under my breath when my sleep has been disturbed way too soon perhaps you can relate to that in fact i believe alarms are some of the rudest things in existence and uh, perhaps you can identify but here's the thing with humanity sleep is not something that we do merely because we like it we probably oversleep because we like it but we sleep because our survival depends on it okay, i know that i don't function very well on little sleep i tend to get cranky and snappy my productivity is very low okay god has designed us in a way that we need sleep if we don't sleep or we have sustained periods with very little sleep there will be consequences now why why do we need to sleep well like you do these days i googled that question and there are actually numerous books written on that question okay if you want something to read there's some titles for you okay there's different scientific perspectives which was interesting but the sleep foundation which i thought that'd be a good source said this sleep is an essential function that allows your body and mind to recharge leaving you refreshed and alert when you wake up healthy sleep also helps the body remain healthy and stave off diseases without enough sleep the brain cannot function properly another article said sleep is essential for good health in fact we need sleep to survive just like we need food and water many biological processes happen during sleep the brain stores new information and gets rid of toxic waste nerve cells communicate and reorganize which supports healthy brain function the body repairs cells restores energy and releases molecules like hormones and proteins sleep is vital for cellular restoration proper brain function emotional well-being weight maintenance heart health and our immune system pretty important stuff and according to the experts if you're over 18 you need seven to nine hours a day if you're younger you need more okay god has designed us to sleep we need rest it isn't unscriptural to sleep okay our very survival depends on it we're like a battery okay we need to be recharged you know when i was building houses when my makita battery went flat my tools would stop working hopefully my other batteries would be charged very annoying when they're all flat jeremy is smiling he knows what i mean it's very annoying hey the battery needed to be needs to be fully charged to power the tool and sleep recharges our bodies so we can continue to function okay but get this god has never slept and he never will in fact god can't sleep god doesn't even nap okay a lot of people have this picture of god he's this old man with a long gray beard up in heaven and that very idea conjures up napping in a rocking chair okay most grandpas start to nap when they sit down but god doesn't nap god can't sleep and i want to establish from the bible that god can't sleep and consider why this matters and how it magnifies the greatness of god okay this is the direction that we're headed and psalm 121 is our primary text and i trust you've got your bible open there you'll notice that this psalm has the superscription a song of degrees it can also be referred to as a song of ascent there are 15 such songs they're grouped together starting at psalm 120 
Okay, these are believed to be sung by the pilgrims as they're making their journey to Jerusalem for the annual feasts. The law of God commanded that all the men must be present for the three major feasts. Deuteronomy 16, 16 says, Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the feast of unleavened bread, and in the feast of weeks, and in the feast of tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Okay, so this is what the Lord had prescribed. Villages would usually travel together, so there would be these annual road trips for these festivals. And as they made these journeys, they would sing. And Psalm 121 contains the lyrics of one such song. Now, the central theme of this psalm is protection from the Lord as the faithful make the trek to the holy city. The Hebrew verb shamar, which means to protect, to watch over, to guard, or to keep safe, occurs six times throughout this psalm. And one scholar made an interesting point. He said that shamar occurs in the middle of this psalm, and there is an equal number of syllables both before and after the verb, which seems to be a poetic device that highlights the central message of this psalm. And such a theme makes perfect sense when they were traveling, because there were many potential dangers that could ensnare them. There were no real roads or footpaths like we have today, but only well-trodden paths in the valley, along the rivers, and over the mountain passes. And no doubt the weather could affect the condition of these tracks. Okay, try and think of a hiking track through a national park. That's the idea. So there were potential dangers of slipping into a river or losing your footing as you climb the mountain path. So the journey itself could be quite perilous. But then there were also threats from robbers and thieves. Okay, remember the story of the Good Samaritan. When Jesus told a parable, it was always a relatable story. So people being mugged and beaten up was common as they traveled. So there were potential dangers lurking around every corner. And remember that most of these travelers couldn't do this in one day. So it would involve overnight stays, which increased the dangers of being attacked by both predatory people and predatory animals. So hence we can see the appropriateness of a psalm of protection. Now the particular structure of this song is interesting. In the first two verses, first person pronouns are used. And then from verse 3 onwards, second person pronouns are employed. And what this conveys is that there is actually two speakers throughout this psalm. Okay, there is an individual singer who declares his confidence in the Lord's watchful hand of protection. And then a respondent assures the singer of the divine protection. So scholars believe that this response likely came from a priest or a teacher or some mature believer designed to reaffirm and increase the confidence of a younger pilgrim. So verses 1 and 2 contains a confession of trust by an individual, and verses 3 to 8 contains an affirmation of the confession of trust. So let's consider the confession 
of trust found in the first two verses, which says, I'll lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Okay, verse 1 begins with the pilgrim lifting up his eyes and seeing the hills. And this stresses a present and intense contemplation. And as he looks up, he sees the dangers. He sees the challenges that are before him. He's likely wearied. He's worn out. He realizes that, that he could slip and fall as he made his way up the mountain. Slippery paths and loose rocks presented potential hazards. There could be robbers awaiting around any corner. There could be animals that want him for lunch. Many were the potential dangers as he looked at the hills. Okay, these hills, it's likely a reference to the final climb before one enters Jerusalem. And as these dangers are considered, a question is asked. It says, from whence cometh my help? Now, this doesn't mean that the help was coming from the mountains, which we may think from a quick glance. But we need to remember that the idols were often associated with the hills. And hence we read throughout the Old Testament that they tear down the high places. But this is not a trust in the idols of the pagans, but rather a question of who will help him through these dangers. Okay, so that's a question and then it's answered in verse 2, help would come from the Lord. So as he gazed up to the hills, as he saw the dangers, he looked beyond the mountains to God. He looked to the one who made the mountains. And it was his deep-seated conviction that the Lord would watch over him. That the Lord would guard him, that the Lord would protect him and keep him safe as he navigated the dark valleys. It's like Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Okay, this was the assurance that calmed his anxiety. The psalmist believed that the Lord was with him and would help him navigate it safely. And this confidence was not misplaced because the Lord made heaven and earth. Okay, the one who created these mountains is more than capable to get one through them. So this was the confession of trust from the psalmist. Okay, this confession is then affirmed, which is the second point. Now this affirmation is designed to confirm and increase the confidence that the psalmist possessed in the Lord's caring protection. It seems that these words came in reply from someone who was mature. And they were affirming from experience that the Lord does guide and guard them. So you picture someone like 20 is making this affirmation. And then someone is like 70 is like, that is true. Okay, the Lord has, has led me through here 300 times before. Okay, it's increasing the young man's confidence. And there's varying affirmations listed in the remaining verses that intensify the protection of the Lord. Okay, in verse 3, he says that he is watching over every step to ensure that it won't slip. Okay, every step. This requires close and careful attention every step of the way. 
Okay, that's comforting. And this close care would be constant because God doesn't sleep and God doesn't slumber. Okay, he won't have a nap and fail to protect you. Verses 5 and 6 continue on. The Lord is referred to as shade. And obviously in the scorching Middle Eastern sun, shade was life-giving and life-sustaining. Perhaps the idea of the pillar of cloud that led Israel in the wilderness was in their minds. But the overall point that's stressed in these verses is whether it's the scorching sun and the dangers that presented, or whether it's the moon at night and the threats under the cover of darkness, the Lord would protect them. Whether it was day, whether it was night, the Lord would help them. And and this point is driven home in the final two verses. It, It like finishes with a crescendo. The Lord would protect them in the face of all evil. Anything that could potentially threaten them, the Lord was there. The Lord was watching over them. He would preserve them no matter what they faced. Now they weren't promised that there wouldn't be difficulties. But the Lord was watching over them and the Lord would help them through. So divine protection is the central theme of this psalm. It doesn't clarify how God would do it. But it was the confident conviction of these pilgrims that God would watch over them as they made this journey to Jerusalem. So this is what this psalm is all about in context. For our purposes, I want to focus in on the point made in verses 3 and 4. It's repeated for emphasis. As one commentator said, this consoling truth must be repeated. It's too rich to be dismissed in a single line. The Lord does not slumber nor sleep. Okay, understand, God does not fatigue. God does not suffer from exhaustion. That there has never been a time... Where God needed to recharge. If you ever work so hard at the end of the day you are exhausted. You just need to sleep. God has never experienced that. His existence is not dependent on sleep like mankind's. God has existed for all eternity and yet he has never slept. God doesn't need sleep for proper brain function. He doesn't need to replenish the energy reservoir. Okay, the fuel light never comes on for God. He doesn't need to refuel. He doesn't need rest to refresh. He, he doesn't need sleep for his emotional well-being. His capacity and output is never affected by a lack of sleep. God has never closed his eyes. And this, my friend, is incredibly comforting because imagine if God could sleep. That would be terrifying. You know, this reminded me of Elijah's encounter with the false prophets at Mount Carmel. Okay, do you remember the story? There was the great showdown. Elijah would build an altar for a sacrifice. The prophets of Baal would also build an altar. But the fire had to be produced by God or their gods. And the prophets of Baal, they were having some difficulties getting Baal to send some fire. They were dancing around, making a commotion. And then Elijah unleashes with some savage responses, dripping with irony and humor. He exhausts them, guys, maybe you need to yell a bit louder. Maybe Baal is talking. Maybe he's having a walk. 
or maybe he's asleep. And no fire came. But Elijah, just to prove the point, covered his sacrifice in water, making it impossible to light, and yet the fire of the Lord consumed it. And this contest proved that Yahweh was the one true and living God. But it is the point that Elijah accused Baal of sleeping. Since he was asleep, he was unavailable to help his followers. And my friend, this would be the reality if God slept. He would be unable to perform his usual functions. And think about that. Some of his usual functions is holding this world together. He is the glue that keeps this place in one piece. He is the one who ensures that everything works. Imagine if he needed to take a nap. Everything would spiral out of control. He would be unavailable to help and to assist. Everything would fall apart if God slept. It would be like the driver that falls asleep at the wheel. His car will soon be out of control and he would crash. This is what would happen to our world. This is what would happen in our lives if our God slept. But thankfully, our God can't sleep, which means he's always in control. He's always in the driver's seat, if you like, of this world and of your life. Okay, he's driving and he will never fall asleep. This is good news. Now, here are some further reasons why this is good news. Think about prayer. Okay, if God slept, we we would never know if our prayers were heard or not. Because he could have been asleep. Imagine that. You pray this prayer and you're like, man, I hope God's awake. But since God doesn't sleep, we know that his eyes and ears are are always open, which means he always hears our prayers. We we don't have to be concerned that we prayed at a time when he may have been napping. We, We don't have limited time slots where we can pray. But we can pray at any time knowing that God is always awake. Have you ever been in mid-conversation with someone only to realize that they are asleep and they have no idea what you're talking about? That's my dad every night on his lounge. You know, that never happens with God. You know, also, we don't need to be concerned that God will be moody, cranky, and angry with us because he's tired. You know, most of us, when we are really tired, we can be quite difficult people. You know, our fuses tend to be quite short Christian graces can be lacking, harsh things are often said, and those closest to us are usually the victims of our lack of patience and anger. But God is never like that. And aren't you glad? Imagine if God was moody and angry and lacked patience because he was tired. That would be catastrophic. And yet, this has never happened with God. Nor can it happen. Now furthermore, think about God's watchful eye. Or his protective hand. That is the context of this psalm. Okay, what would happen if God slept? His protective work would cease. Imagine the field day that Satan could have if God was asleep even for a short period of time. Okay, but praise God he doesn't sleep and hence he can perform his protective ministry. All day, every day. You know, someone once asked Alexander the Great how he could sleep so soundly when he was surrounded by so much personal danger. His response was this, while my faithful guard is watching. And this is our great comfort. 
Because our God, far superior to Alexander's God, never slumbers, never sleeps. And he is guarding us. He is watching over us. God doesn't sleep. But there was a period of time, around 33 years in length, when God did sleep. And that was when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became man. And this is one of the humiliations of the incarnation. Okay, think about this. Jesus subjected himself to the vulnerability of sleep. Okay, you and I, we are never more vulnerable than when we are asleep. And Jesus did that. He he took upon himself a real humanity, which meant he was subject to fatigue and exhaustion and required sleep. Remember when he was in the boat? Had a pillow, fell asleep in the back of the boat. My friend, Jesus slept for us. And this was a necessary requirement for him to be Our Savior, he needed to be just like us, except without sin. And hence he subjected himself to this great vulnerability of sleep so he could be the Savior of the world. That's the glory, that's the majesty of Jesus, that he would do something that that God doesn't do in order to provide us with salvation. And I trust that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you have placed your faith And trust in him and his finished work on the cross. But for the believer, it's a great comfort that our God can't sleep. He he doesn't run low in power and need to recharge. He, He doesn't get emotionally drained and need to be refreshed. He doesn't get angry and snappy with us because he's tired. He doesn't miss our prayers because he is asleep. He doesn't fall asleep in the driver's seat of this world or our life. Okay, we need sleep, but our God does not. And since he never sleeps, that enables us to sleep at night. My friend, this is the greatness of our God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I I do thank you uh, that there are some things you can't do. And uh, one of them uh, is sleep. And uh, we do thank you uh, that you are watching over us. You're watching over uh, this world. And uh, you don't get tired. You you don't get fatigued. And uh, Lord, this is just a testimony to your greatness. May this uh, encourage us. And uh, may this grow uh, our delight in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I like